0: Hello everyone and welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where it is our desire and mission to help you find and follow Jesus. Today's message is from our brand new sermon series, My Shepherd. In this study, we are going through the familiar passage of Psalm 23 and rediscovering David's declaration, The Lord is my Shepherd. This statement relays a total dependency on Jesus as our shepherd, guide, and Lord over our lives. We're focusing on the truth that God is a personal God and He wants to be your shepherd. And as a result of His ownership, we can follow Him boldly and rest confidently in His care. Let's take our Bibles, let's go to Psalm chapter 23 this morning. Psalm chapter 23, we're going to be continuing, of course, a study that we started uh, last week. And we started it through uh, the book or the chapter, Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm to many of us, of course. And I'm not going to reiterate everything that we talked about last week, but I do want to make mention of the fact that as we read this psalm, as we study it together, one of the things that we know, of course, is that it was written by King David himself. And so there's no real argument at all whatsoever as to who the author was. It was written by King David, the shepherd king, uh, really the great king of Israel, the one that God used, the man after God's own heart. And as we read it, though, we don't look at this passage um, believing or thinking that it was written by, uh, you know, a 17-year-old boy as he sat by the brook playing his harp and watching his father's sheep. It carries with it, this, this uh, chapter carries with it a real maturity to it. And we dug into that a little bit last week as it really uh, carries and it seems like it's written by somebody who's lived the, the gritty, challenging uh, walk with God, the kind of life and the kind of example that comes from a lifetime of imperfect devotion yet full commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we understand that as he writes it. This is not being written as somebody with no experience. This is somebody who has truly experienced a real life of walking with God. Because in this psalm, what we notice is David's true devotion and his real intimate relationship with our God. Now in this psalm what we find is David gives us some secrets. And that's what I love about reading psalms written by people who've lived some life is that uh, it teaches us so much about God. And what we see in this is we will see the secret of contentment. We will see the joy of God's provision. We will also notice that there is a great comfort of our eternal home. And each of those themes, I want you to understand, all of these themes that we'll be covering as we work our way through this book are all attributed to the fact that we have a loving Heavenly Father. If you didn't know that today, I want you to know that you have a Father who loves you. He is in heaven, he is perfect, and even if your earthly father was not perfect, you have a heavenly father who is perfect, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants to come alongside of you. And so all of these attributes that we understand come because of our great heavenly father. And so that is why at the very outset of this really important passage of scripture, just in those first few words we see David identify for us who it is that he is talking about. And if you look with me at verse number one, you'll see that it says that the Lord is my shepherd. And so last week, we took the time to sort of look at that first phrase because David is identifying who he is talking about. He is talking about the Lord. That is Yahweh, that is Jehovah, this is the the great God, the all-powerful, the self-existent, the self-sustaining, the unchanging, uh, the one from whom all life flows and all life finds its source, the one who is in control of all things, and it is the same God that David says here is my personal shepherd. He is my shepherd. He is somebody that is close enough that he can claim him as his own. Now, to David, this statement carried a lot more impact maybe than it does for us. And I'm going to try to get my controller back up here working for my notes. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Let's see if this one will work this time. Or we have to send somebody up there to kind of control my slides. I'm sorry. Let's see if we can, let's see if we can get it figured out here. Um, technology, right? It only works when I'm not using it. (laughs) All right, we'll get there. So you're able to follow along, Tim, with me? Tim's got it. Okay. So David, this statement carries with it, as I mentioned, a lot more impact than maybe we fully understand. Because David was the son of a shepherd. He, in fact, was a shepherd himself. And he understood that there was, in fact, a very unique relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Now this understanding for us, let's just be fully honest today, is mostly lost on us in 2022 living here in Vancouver. The idea of a shepherd and the relationship that he has with the sheep, I feel for us most Canadians are probably closer uh, to understanding the intricacies of a relationship with a digital pet <laughs> than with uh, you know, one of these beauties right here, right? By the way, th- I did a little research on this uh, dog by Sony. It's a little creepy, I just got to say, but there's people that are all in on it. And I think today we probably understand the intricacies around that, or some of you remember the old uh, Tamagotchis, right? Brandon, he had a whole key ring full of those, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> he did. And, uh, and, and for, so for us, the point I'm making is we understand the idea of a pet relationship or of a digital pet, and I know I'm just kind of being funny here, but um, if we're to fully understand David's content or intent, and really understand God's purpose, then it's important for us to grasp that the relationship between the shepherd and his sheep could be described much more intimately. You can almost describe it as more of a friendship if you describe it in, in, in that way. I think we understand it this way in the daily routine of the shepherd. And I wanna talk through this just for a moment to help us understand the relationship here. First of all, the Eastern shepherd uh, in his day would, uh, and you can move to the next slide there, Simon. Simon. There we go. We'll get off of the the digital. Some of you are looking it up right now on your phones there. But the eastern shepherd and the relationship that they had with the sheep is is very much different than, than maybe even you have an idea. Each day they would lead their flocks out of the sheepfold. If they had their own, they would go, of course, and allow the sheep to follow them out. Oftentimes, multiple shepherds would keep their sheep at night just for shared protection in a common sheepfold, but... The sheep and the shepherd had such a relationship that they could walk into the common fold in the town and just simply call their sheep and they would come because they knew their shepherd's voice. So there was already that unique connection uh, between them. All day long as they were out on the fields as he would lead his sheep, uh, he would be careful to watch for those that would harm them. Uh, We know from uh, the shepherd David that there were bears and lions and I'm sure wolves and other kind of uh, dangers that were out there that were a constant threat. And as well, you had to look out for people that would come and try to steal your sheep. And so the shepherd was always on alert, looking for danger. Uh, He would be responsible for finding the best pasture for them to make sure that they were properly uh, watered. He knew them well enough to check them over to look for any disease or uh, any injury that to the common person wouldn't recognize, but to the shepherd, he would know exactly what's going on. As well, the shepherd would uh, make sure that if there was one that was too small to keep up, he would carry it along. He would not allow anyone to wander off. If one did, as we know from Luke 2, he would go and he would seek them out and he would find them. Uh, as, they, uh, uh, as, as he cared for them, of course, throughout the day, his goal was to bring them all back safely to the sheepfold at the end of the night. And living in such closeness developed a relationship of understanding and trust. And the reason I'm sharing this is because I think we really don't understand it. We really don't. It's hard for us to understand it. There was a unique closeness between that Israelite shepherd and his sheep that we can't even begin to understand. But he knew his sheep. He named them They understood his voice, they followed his call, and even though, here's what I want you to understand, even though the sheep themselves may not fully have understood or had comprehension of the fact, they really did have a good life, (laughs) because they had someone who was caring for them, they had someone who was leading them and taking care of them, and I share this with you because this would have been on David's mind, as he says, the Lord is my shepherd, And in the same way as he was understanding it, I want to relate to you this morning that our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd as described for us in John chapter 10, he also carries with it many of these descriptors. Think about it for a moment as I describe for you Jesus, our shepherd, just for a moment. Number one, he has a shepherd's heart, doesn't he? Man, our our Savior has a shepherd's heart. He's filled with compassion for the sheep. He looked on the multitudes and he was moved with compassion because he has a heart for them. He was the one who laid down his life for the sheep. Secondly, he has a shepherd's eye. He sees us at all times. He never misses anything. There's no detail too small. We love the song, his eye is on the sparrow. And if God cares about the birds, then he cares about you. And so he has a shepherd's eye as he looks towards us. Thirdly, he has a shepherd's faithfulness. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Our Savior is not a hireling that uh, runs away when there's danger. No, he's there with us. He is faithful to us. He's always by our side. Fourthly, he has a shepherd's strength. He's well able to deliver us out of the attacks of our enemy. He's able to give us the strength that we need uh, to resist and to fight back against the very real enemy that is coming after us. Fifthly, he has a shepherd's affection. He has a shepherd's affection. There is no person that is too small, that is too weak, there is no past that is too great or too wicked that he does not care and love you and want to serve you. Now think about that for a moment. Our Savior, our Shepherd, wants to come alongside of us even in the most simple of our situations, the most simple of our difficulties. So this is the relationship that David is referencing when he calls the Lord his Shepherd. And the reason that he does that, and the reason is because of the shepherd's love, that David can make that claim. See, David is able to say that he is my shepherd because he knows how much God loves him. And so for us today, it's really important that we remember that we can call him our shepherd simply because he loves us that much. Now, David understood he was a sheep. Remember, we talked about that last week. Uh, He understood that he's a sheep. Sheep are defined as what? Come on, help me out here dumb, right, <laughs> dumb, they're, we got it, okay, sheep are defined as what, dumb, okay, you got it, all right, they're not very smart, they are dependent, uh, they are, uh, they are um, uh, without direction, they need someone to show them the way, they're easily scared, you ever seen those, uh, those uh, examples of sheep, you know, they get so scared, they fall over, they pass out, you know, and there's also fainting goats as well, I know, but they're sheep, if you scare them enough, they'll just fall right over, And uh, and, and they're very fragile animals, and if left to themselves, their lifespan is like a day, if that, maybe. And they need somebody, and so David is saying, he says, he knows, I'm a sheep, I'm dumb, I need protection, I need guidance, I need a caregiver. And so what does he do? He places himself under the care of the good shepherd, which is the exact understanding that we need to have today, that in us, listen, there is no good thing. We are nothing. We struggle. We need a shepherd. We need a protector. We need a guide. And the amazing thing to me this morning is that God would want anything to do with us. It's amazing that God would want to do anything with a defenseless, stubborn, rebellious, problem-causing person such as myself But I want to remind you what he said in John chapter 10. Jesus said in verse number 9, he said that I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then he says what? I am come. So he says there's all of this wickedness. There's all of this evil. There's all of these enemies. But he says I have come. Why? That they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And then he says I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life The sheep. Understand that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, wants to give us eternal life. He wants to give that to you today. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to know that uh, heaven is your home. He wants to provide for you. He wants to give you life more abundantly, meaning life that is better than you could ever manufacture for yourself. He wants to give that to you. And He he wants you to uh, know this, but you must accept His gift of salvation. He wants you to make Him your shepherd how do we do that we do that by turning from our rebellion turning from our stubbornness turning from our self-sufficiency and accepting his free gift of salvation and if you have done that today if you are here and you are a believer and you say i've i've accepted the lord jesus christ as my savior he has saved me and i know that today if you can say that then you can say with david the lord is my shepherd You've received his love. You've placed yourself under his care, and he is your shepherd. Because truthfully, though, not everyone can say that. Not everybody can say that. There might be some of you here this morning. You cannot say that he is your shepherd. And that's a really big question that you need to answer in your life. Has there been a time where you have placed yourself under the care of the shepherd, that you recognize his love for you and his acceptance of you, and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior? You've got to make that decision. Then you can say, truly, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, let me give you a secret to understanding the Bible. Are you ready? People say to me all the time, Pastor, how do I understand the Bible? Okay? Not Christian, but everybody else does, all right? He's got it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> how do we, here's the secret, okay? Typically, the secret or the key to understanding the Bible or unlocking a passage is that there's given to us a key at the very beginning. Typically. 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 And the key to Psalm 23 is right there at the very beginning. The fact that the Lord is my shepherd. Declaring the Lord is your shepherd. And if you can say that this morning, if you can say with me and look me in the eye and say, Pastor Paul, the Lord is my shepherd, then what you're doing here is you are opening, you're unlocking the truths in the rest of the passage. Beginning with the declaration there in verse number one, I want you to look at this. The Lord is my shepherd. Say those last uh, four words with me. Ready? Ready? I shall not want. Now, somebody came to me last Sunday after the message said, Pastor, you didn't finish the verse. <laughs> All right, we're going to finish it. But we've got to remember, is he your shepherd? If he's your shepherd, then we can move on. you got to settle that first. So if you're a Christian, here we go. He says, David says, I shall not want. Now, how can David go from declaring the Almighty God as his shepherd to now saying, I shall not want? It comes down to one word. I want you to write this word down, contentment. Contentment. I want you to write that down. Contentment. If you don't take any notes, take that one today. Write down the word contentment. Because David is able to make this bold, declarative statement over his life and about his direction because he was a man that was completely satisfied with the shepherd. Now, we understand it in this word here that's written for us here, the word want. Now, what does that word mean? I have it defined for us here. It means lack, fail, or to be without. So the main concept of this word, if we're to understand it fully, it means that there was nothing in David's life that was lacking. There was nothing in David's life that was failing. Uh, Also in its extended meaning, it means uh, something or the failure of something to be fully complete, the failure of something to be whole, the failure of something to be sufficient, so David is saying here, because the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing that I am lacking. There is nothing that I need. There is nothing that is not incomplete in my life. I wonder if you can say that about your life. Could you look at me and say, hey, there, my life is, is complete. There is nothing that is lacking. There is, there is nothing in my life that leaves me discontented. This is what David is saying. He's saying that my life is content. I am content, he is saying, in the shepherd's care. And I have no other cravings. I have no other desires for anything else. I am completely content. Now, you might be thinking, I know some of you are thinking this. Well, he was a king. Obviously, there's nothing lacking. He's a king, right? He just has to say, off with their heads. And heads are off, you know? Like, he could, he could do whatever he wants. He has, he has all the resources and money that we would dream of. Okay, I understand that sentiment. But you have to understand, David is not talking about physical or material things here. He's not talking about that at all. He's not simply referring to that. I mean, even think about it for a moment. Even a quick study of his life would reveal that David came from a very simple family. He spent many years in hiding for his life. He lived in the wilderness. He lived in caves. He suffered crippling fear. This was a man who experienced deep hardship. He experienced the death of his own son directly attributed to his sin. It's one of those cases where God intervened through the prophet Nathan and said, no, your son is to die because of you. I mean, that's that's huge. No title is going to save you from that sorrow. He experienced the rebellion and his own son, Absalom, turning against him. In fact, many believe that he wrote this psalm during his time in exile, while Absalom is just wreaking havoc with the kingdom that he'd been building for 40 years. And so he's experienced great difficulty. He's experienced great trials. I mean, look at the lives of Elijah, Hosea, Daniel, John the Baptist, Jesus Uh, The Apostle Paul. Look at recent history of men uh, like David Livingstone or or Jim Elliot and others. And here's what you realize very quickly. The life of a follower of Christ is not free from sorrow. (laughs) The life of a follower of Christ is not free from uh, financial instability. It was not free from need. Even Jesus said in John 16 that in the world you shall have tribulation but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 uh, through 29, I just want to read this to you briefly. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Uh, thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Uh, three times I, had sh- I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was in the deep, In journeys often in perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, uh, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, wear- uh, weariness, painfulness, watchings often, hunger, thirst, fastings, cold, nakedness, besides those things which are the without. Then he says all the things that cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not. I mean these are only a couple of examples that I want to share with you. Uh, and so when David here says that I don't need anything, he's not saying it from a position of wealth or that like I've got everything figured out, I'm a king. He's saying that He has suffered greatly. He's been through great difficulty, yet he can still say, I shall not want. He can still say, I have no need. Now, we would be unfaithful to the text to try to make this about anything else but understanding its true meaning. You know, far greater Christians than I have suffered immensely for the cause of the gospel. And so this isn't just about material things. It's not about, oh, life just going perfectly. What is he saying here? David is giving us a look into his soul. He's giving us a look into the heart of a person that is genuinely content in their relationship with Jesus Christ. He's showing us what it looks like when someone recognizes the challenges of life's journey, but they face them with contentment because, regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the challenges, they are complete, they are whole, they lack nothing because of Christ. And it's demonstrated for us here in his total dependence, but him saying, I am completely satisfied with the Lord. I'm completely satisfied with my shepherd. I'm completely content being under his care. So I wonder, can you say that today? Can you say, I am content with the shepherd and nothing else? I am content, I am satisfied with Jesus and with him alone. Now this goes against our built-in psyche, doesn't it? It goes against the way that we are naturally inclined. Because so many people today believe that the secret of satisfaction The secret of being completely content is having a God who gives you everything you want. This is the mindset that we sometimes have as Christians. But I got to tell you, that is not the secret to satisfaction. Parents, help me out for a moment. What's the quickest way to ruin a kid? (laughs) Let's be honest, right? Give them everything they want, right? (laughs) If you want to bring great trial into your life as a parent, say yes To everything that your child wants to do. I think there was a movie, wasn't there, called Yes Day, all right, a few years ago, and it was about parents who had to say yes to everything their kids did. Guess what? Disaster. I mean, total disaster. And so if you want to know how to ruin somebody, say yes to everything that they say. (laughs) But isn't it ironic? That's how we want our God to treat us. It's so ironic. Any one of us could look at a kid and be like, that kid is spoiled, right? (laughs) And we see the signs of a spoiled kid. But when it comes to God, we're like, hey, God, why don't you just do everything I want? Why don't you just give me everything I desire? Why don't you just make everything perfect in my life? Why isn't everything just, you know, why isn't it all? (laughs) Because we think the secret to contentment and we think that the secret to satisfaction is having all of those things. But I gotta tell you, the secret of satisfaction is not in things or in a smooth life. The secret to satisfaction is in the Lord himself. That's why he says, the Lord is my shepherd. See, your needs will never be met until they are met in him. The things of this life, the comforts of this world will never satisfy you. Because no no matter how much you accomplish, And no matter what you can do and achieve in this life, you will never be satisfied unless Jesus becomes the object of your affection. Now, many of you have immigrated to Canada in your lifetime, whether as a child or some of you have immigrated just as recent as a few months ago. Do you, I want, I think we all can understand this. Do you remember what it was like to be in another country and looking forward to coming to Canada? Help me out. Some of you remember that, right? Do you remember what your dreams were? Man, I'm gonna get to Canada and it's gonna be so great, (laughs) right? (laughs) All the problems of my home country and the reasons that I wanna go there, man, I'm gonna be rich. Uh, I'm gonna have everything I want. I'm gonna be able to provide. I'm gonna, man, life is gonna be so good when I get to Canada, right? And now you're here. And while it may be bitter, uh, bitter, better, (laughs) while it may be a bit better, it's still hard, isn't it? It still challenges. It hasn't turned out how you thought. It's not all, wow, it's so amazing in a Western country, you know? It's not all perfect. Guess what happened? All of a sudden, your satisfaction changed, When you were, before you got here, you were like, oh man, as long as I have a good job and I'm able, it's gonna be so great. And then you got here and you're like, look around like, oh, well maybe I need this and now I need this and I need this and I need this, right? You're never satisfied. You remember when you got that first job and you saw the salary and you're like, oh man. (laughs) When I go, went from seven, you know, I think my my, my first job at London Drugs, I was making like $7.43 an hour stocking shelves, you know, from 5 a.m. till 9 a.m. That was my first job as a teenager. And then I went to the U.S. for college, and I got a job making $4.37. Their minimum wage was terrible. But when I got my first job as a youth pastor at a church, and uh, I went and I interviewed, and we had all this, and they they said, we want to hire you, and they, you know, the old, like, slide the paper across the table, you know? Here's our our offer. (laughs) I'm kidding. I would have taken anything, right, you know? (laughs) Um, and I think my starting salary, if I can remember correctly, just stay with me here, this, it was huge. Uh, I think my starting salary was uh, uh, 24000 a year. I think it was my starting salary. <laughs> Guess what? I was in college at the time. That seemed like a ton of money to me. I was like, I am always going to be happy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I can raise six kids on that, you know. <laughs> like, everything's going to be great, you know. And, and uh, then I got married and expenses went up. And, and, and it didn't quite turn out how I thought. I thought I'd have all this. I'd be flushed with cash, you know. I had all, no, I didn't quite. I forgot about taxes and things like that. But you remember when you got that, that job you finally been waiting for and you knew the salary was coming, you're like, man, this is great. But now here you are three years into it. You're like, this is not a great job, <laughs> This is not a great salary. I think I need to make a little bit more money. What am I saying here? When you get to that place and the thing that you think is going to satisfy you and make you happy and you're going to pursue it, whatever it is, you get there and there's still struggles. You aren't content with what you have. There will be something else. There will be another thing that comes along that you think will make you satisfied. And the question is, is why are we like that? Well, the reason is, is because as believers, we sometimes misunderstand scripture, so I'm going to bring uh, to you Psalm 37, uh, verse number four. Some of This is a familiar verse that maybe many of you know. And it says here that to delight yourself, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Man, we love that verse, don't we, as Christians? If I just delight myself in God, he's going to give me that white Tesla X, <laughs> right? I just delight myself in the Lord, and I'm going to have that nice, uh, you know, redone heritage home in Mount Pleasant that I've always wanted, you know? I'm going to live on uh, Trinity Street down there in East Van. That's, I mean, that's the place. I mean, if I delight myself in the Lord, then he's going to give me the desires of my heart. What I want, God is going to give it to me. But that isn't what this verse means, is it? What this verse means is that when you delight in the Lord, the deepest need of your heart will be met. And what is the deepest need of your heart? Jesus. Jesus is the deepest need of your heart. That is what your heart yearns for. That is what you are made for. You are made for him. The Bible says in Acts that it it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Who is that in? It is in him, in Christ. And so if it is God that is our very being, if we are pursuing him, if we are delighting ourselves in him and in him alone, then truthfully, satisfaction and contentment is possible because it is in the correct object, not in all of this other stuff around us. You can be content then in where God has you. Luke 15 verse 12 tells us that a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that you possess. And sometimes we get so twisted around in our life and we think that uh, if I'm following after God and if I'm loving him and I'm pursuing him and I'm seeking his will, that everything's gonna work out and then things don't work out and then we get discouraged and we get frustrated. We say, God, why isn't it working out? It's because we are not truly seeking real contentment. Real contentment is found in him and in him alone above anything else. It is saying, I don't need anything else in this life except Christ and him alone. And so, if I never own a home in Vancouver, it's okay. If I never uh, experience this uh, financial goal that my coworkers have achieved, if I don't uh, uh, reach this perceived utopia in my life, what I think would be heaven on earth or what I think would be perfect and everything will be smooth and it'll be exactly what I want and, and be exactly what I think it should be, and if I don't achieve that, if I have Christ, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And this is the point that David is trying to get across to us, that listen, even if you spend your life on this earth and you work hard and you labor and you, and you uh, when it seems hard for you and easy for everybody else and maybe others had a head start or different advantages than you, the point being is that if you're still pursuing after God, you can still be content. Some of the wealthiest people I know are the most unhappy people in this life. And some of the people who have the least in this world Love Jesus so much, it just flows out of them. And they're content and they're happy. Why is that? Because one person has placed their trust and their contentedness and what they think will make them happy in things while the other has said, you know what? The Lord's my shepherd. I don't need anything else. I'm content. Now, does God bless us with material things? Of course he does. That's awesome. (laughs) But that's not, he doesn't bless you so that you're then content. God doesn't allow good things to happen to us so that we'll all of a sudden say, all right, Lord, you are now my shepherd. <laughs> no, he does it because he's our shepherd. But our contentment is still not in those things. I'm, guilt, I'm as guilty as anybody to think that if I have this, if I achieve this, if I buy this thing, then, then, then I'll be happy. <laughs> That's the missing part of my whole, <laughs> whole <laughs> missing part of my soul, you know, is if I buy this thing. There'll always be something else, won't there? There'll always be something else. The question is, is are you seeking contentment outside of your shepherd? I'll tell you, if you seek joy and fulfillment outside of where he's led you, it won't be enough. It won't be enough. You won't be content. Because you'll always find yourself in the same looping pattern. The same, uh, you know, I don't think they have them anymore, but when I used to play video games, the same glitch, you know, and the guy would just get stuck in the same thing. It's the same thing over. You'll say, oh, if I have this, I'll be happy. You get it? I'm not happy. If I have this, I'll be happy. Oh, I'm not happy. You'll be stuck in this ever moving loop. And what it does is it, it challenges and it frustrates your relationship with God even if you're not careful. But if we are content following our shepherd, If we're content where he has placed us, if we're content with his will, then you won't lack anything in life. You won't be missing out on anything. So you say, well, what does that look like? How does that happen? How do I get to that position? Well, it's very simple. It's simply by entrusting your life, your dreams, and your goals in the hands of the shepherd. In essence, it is surrendering your life completely to his leadership. It's saying, in a heart of surrender, saying, God, you know what? There's these things I want to do. There's these things I want to accomplish. There's these things I want to have. There's this idea that I think is going to work out, that I think is going to. And by the way, God gives you dreams and goals and all of those things. Okay, They come from God. There's been so many things in my life that were a dream five years ago or ten years ago, and God's brought them to fruition in his time. Okay, In his time. Obviously, that's a, that's a real thing. But I still have to be willing to surrender it to God. I still have to be willing to surrender that deep desire, whatever it may be. You know, we've mentioned basic things, you know, but you guys could fill in Like I could say, what is the thing that you are striving for? What is the great longing of your heart? What are you pursuing? Is it a, you know, is it some a dream of a relationship or a spouse or, or some financial thing, a home or whatever? And, and you're just like, this is everything to me. I want this. Listen, have you ever given that to God and said, God, you know what? I, I think that that might make me happy, but here's the point it won't. (laughs) Jesus needs to be the source of your satisfaction. Jesus needs to be the source of your contentment. It's saying that, God, where you have me, I'm content. God, what you have given me, I am content. Lord, where you lead me, I will follow, I will obey, and I'll be content in your will. Remember how Jesus described his care for you. I want to look again at John chapter 10, verse 10 and 11. I read it earlier, but I want to just point this out to you again. This is the care that God has for us. It says the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then he says that he is the good shepherd and that he would even give his life for the sheep. Because Jesus is your shepherd, there is no trouble too great because he cares for his flock. That's why we sort of built the case at the very beginning of his care and how God looks at you and how God cares for you and loves you. We built that because I knew we were gonna get to this point where we have to surrender. And when it comes to surrender, that's where our trust issues come to the surface, right? (laughs) I have trust issues, right? (laughs) And our trust issues from this life often flow to our heavenly father. But I want to remind you that he said, I will care for you. I will give my life for you. I want to give you life abundantly. I want you to experience true contentment. And so it's a surrender to Christ's administration over your life because God always does things well, doesn't he? He does things perfectly. He loves us for our own sake as well as for the joy that he finds in us. Jesus will do all that is necessary to care for you. Remember, Jesus is, uh, he's described as jealous for his name in scripture. And he's jealous for the name of good shepherd. He's not going to let anybody tarnish that fact that, hey, I'm a good shepherd. I will care for my flock. I will take care of them. I will give them what they need. Because Jesus delights in us. And to him, there is no greater reward. There is no deeper satisfaction than seeing his sheep content, safe, and flourishing under his care. And I wanna tell you, Jesus will uh, spare no expense in order to see that your needs are being met. So I ask you this morning, can you say the Lord is my shepherd, first of all? But then can you say, with David, I shall not want? Or are you like me in parts of my life where I've said the Lord is my shepherd and there's a whole lot that I want, right? (laughs) Right? Maybe that's where you're at right now. The Lord is my shepherd, but I really want that girlfriend or boyfriend, right? The Lord is my shepherd, but I think he'd be a better shepherd if I had a house to go along with it. If he provided my own little pen, you know? The Lord is my shepherd, but I want more money. (laughs) I want a different life. I want different circumstances. I want freedom to do whatever it is that you feel you need to do. The Lord's my shepherd, but I want to <laughs> live my life how I want to live it right now. If that's your heart, here's what's going to happen. You will be plagued with a spirit of discontentedness. You will never be satisfied. You will always be searching. You will always be struggling. You will always be chasing, and you'll always be exhausted, <laughs> and you'll always be disappointed with your God. But the flip side of that is that because he's your shepherd, because you've placed yourself under his care, because you have surrendered your heart and your life and everything to him, you can truly say, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Life is good. (laughs) Sure, there's trials. Sure, there's difficulties. But I have the Savior. I have a shepherd who loves me and cares for me. But it takes you and I, placing ourselves in that position. And that's my challenge for us this morning. David, at some point in his life, placed himself under the position and under the care of his shepherd. And he said, God, forget I'm a king, forget all the challenges, forget everything in my life. God, you're my shepherd, and I don't, I don't lack anything because I have you. I wonder if that's your heart today. I want to close with Isaiah chapter 26 and verse number three where it says that thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. It's the same thing. I'm trusting God. I'm placing myself under his care. I'm surrendering to him. The key to understanding that phrase I shall not want is in surrendering your will to the shepherd's will. In letting him take the lead in providing and resting in his perfect care and saying, God, I don't understand all of the circumstances around my life. I don't understand why things seem to not always work out. I don't understand why it's not as I think it should be, but I'm still trusting you and I'm resting in you and I realize that you are all I need. You are all I need. You'll never have to wonder if he has your best interests at heart because he always does. God makes no mistakes and he cares for you even when you make mistakes. Isn't that great? The Lord is my shepherd. David says, I shall not want. We hope that today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.